Welcome back to what is now the third episode of the CCA podcast. As always, I have too many guests and I'm diving straight in here in the cinema. Wonderful atmosphere, slightly too hot, but good sound quality as always. Now, I have one of the curatorial team, Ainsley, with me. Would you mind introducing yourself, first of all? Who are you and what do you do here? My name's Ainsley Roddick and I'm the curator at CCA. Now, what what does that mean in sort of day-to-day work? You're involved in the selection of programmes, for example? Yeah, it means I'm working mostly on exhibitions and also working on residencies and uh, other events and for the first time this year something that's not so much an, an exhibition as well so generally just public programming pro- projects that involve artists it must be quite a, a challenging environment in a positive way because there's so much going on and you're generating quite a bit of that then yeah i think this year because we've changed the program a little bit there's a particularly massive amount of of, uh, of projects happening over the summer but i really enjoy it and i really like being busy and it, i think it, there are a lot of things that are sort of connecting or that have, we've been working on over the last couple of years that seem to be sort of slowly or more meaningfully coming into the building so it's not sort of yeah something that's just appearing and then disappearing well this has been the real pleasure of me and three podcasts and i'm already saying this that there's something about the work that is programmed in-house because we know there's loads of stuff coming in from everywhere else but what's in-house there's definitely strong thematic continuities from one month to the next and across the month as well. Now I know this is going to be a little bit easier to talk about because there is one thing that is sort of spread over and we'll be talking to some of the artists involved in that later on. Mm-hmm. What What is that programme that's happening in July and August? So it'll actually run from the end of June, so 28th of June, right up, up until October actually. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm completely underselling it already. Yeah, uh, for 15 weeks and it's something that we've been thinking about you know we, we the gallery we used to have six exhibitions every year and it would be like six projects and they would be closed for two or three weeks and then it'd open another project and then close for two or three weeks and this the summer program is a kind of simple gesture to say that maybe we don't have to stick to that rhythm it's a 15-week program that's looking mostly at performance practices and it probably leads on a little bit from my interest in thinking about the building and how the building's hosting activity and particularly how the galleries are hosting um, people and the uh, thinking about the different ways bodies perform in those spaces so that's why the four projects that are in the, in the gallery spaces are looking at performance but in really different ways and maybe not ways that people automatically assume mm-hmm. is performance or performance art so now that i've actually picked up my brochure and checked it because <laughs> i'm getting the dates wrong it's saturday 29th of june so it's probably by the time most people are hearing this it will already be going and it goes up to the 13th of october some things want to run and that's across multiple galleries is that right yeah it's across the three spaces downstairs so it will open with uh, vda um, or various dance artists mm-hmm. project sonic seons for four weeks and then two weeks after that carrie skinner's project opens in um, this the sort of medium-sized space cca2 for five weeks and then uh, after that Chodela, the Russian collective opens uh, where VDAs was for four weeks and then we have an, another project with Yasmina Chibic uh, which is for four weeks and the idea is that the, there's always going to be something on mm. that there, there's no downtime between shows so we're kind of interested in people coming to the building and not being, there, there always being something to see and instead of like you know having these two or three, week, mm. two or three weeks off mm. So I'm going to speak to Carrie Skinner later on in the episode which is really exciting but I really want to ask you about various dance artists because they've just uh, they performed Sonic Sounds as part of the Take Me Somewhere mm-hmm. festival and I, I think in some ways they're probably well for me I think they're the most exciting thing that's happening in Glasgow performance at the moment yeah. they're really really exciting work I'm 
can't say more than that. What, what are they up to when they come here? So, yeah, I mean, I was really interested in trying to find artists that were working with dance um, as as one of the, the projects that was was in the performance program. And um, yeah, these are artists that we've been following. They've been they've been in the creative lab, or um, but Melly Brooms is one of the core kind of organisers of uh, VDA, and she's one of the lead artists. But the idea with Sonic Seance is that, like you say, it was a, a project that was in tramway. It was a performance for you know for an audience on one evening and for this project it's been sort of expanding it into the gallery space over a month and trying to kind of tease out some of the the stories and the characters and the texts and the poems and words that were in that performance into the gallery space um the kind of central idea is that there's four characters four women who are sort of doing looking at their sort of ancestral heritage and thinking about different ways to speak to the future the Melly, the one of the lead artists speaks a lot about um, this idea of anger um, and resistance and, um, and and sort of using that in a way that's you know seem deemed to be positive like anger is often something that women get a lot of stick for and I think uh, there's a lot of sort of playing uh, playing around with those ideas of like being defiant and um, but in the space there'll be sort of four film works that each of the characters is, is developed um, sort of suspended from the ceiling uh, monitors and then a sort of central projection there'll be textile prints with poems and texts that the artists have written there'll be a dance floor for people to uh, stretch and relax and watch the films and dance so it's a sort of open invitation for people to use the space like that and there's also going to be a space that they've called the gathering space which is going to host many different kinds of uh, reading groups and workshops and events that look at the body that look at um, texts like Audre Lorde's or Audrey Lords, your silence will not protect you and different kind of ways of sort of discussing what it means to dance and care for the body mm. and, and, and across both spaces. And it's very exciting to see almost the performance work that they have done being expanded and, and what a gallery space can do for mm-hmm. that to, to frame it but also to elongate it to explore different areas of it to really allow you to walk around inside it a lot more instead of the idea of a performance as being something on stage that's mm-hmm. a fixed point in space and time and that's your lot and off you go and and that idea of investigating these other ideas Audrey Lord for example is a, a a writer who I think is crucial at this this time in history. I think mm. Audrey Lord's ideas so far ahead of their own time, but speaking to us directly now as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think that um, Ashanti Harris is going to be hosting uh, two reading groups that look at this text, and I think you know across the the work I think the artists are really interested in sort of speaking about you know things that Audrey, Audrey Lorde mm. was interested in which is speaking about difference differently yeah. Um, and yeah just trying to think differently about you know how the body mm. performs how people enter spaces how they're welcomed how they're uh, and exploring ways in which people aren't welcomed mm. and that's uh, very much coming into the programme and like I say this idea of performance not being something that you know you go to tramway and you and you see them perform it's not about this individual event but it's more about this idea of how a space performs mm. or how a space hosts and I think that's probably what we're really interested mm. in across all four projects in mm. the programme Well we might have to come back and talk about a few more of those projects Carrie Skinner coming in later to chat to me another group that's coming in coming from Russia I believe Cho Delat Yes Can you tell me a bit about that project as well? Yeah so they're a collective um, of philosophers and artists and activists and they're 
work is much, it's concerned mostly with knowledge and education and they bring performance into their practices. So they're interested in theatre as a sort of tool for learning. They've done things like learning plays where they've involved different people um, in sort of creating something together as a way to sort of learn. But mainly the sort of focus of the work is about the politicisation of knowledge. So getting knowledge into the the right hands and retelling stories, retelling histories or reframing them, all from a more kind of uh, contributory focus so getting more people to tell those stories and them being they're uh, finding ways to tell multiple kinds of stories so is this a case of where they would collaborate with people around them yeah they're i suppose they're yeah like i said like trying to involve people in the process of making an artwork and um, for this project they are trying to think about glasgow for the from the last 30 years and the way that we've kind of uh, there's a there's a number of ways that we're trying to get people involved in trying to build another history or another timeline for Glasgow. So it's about a, t- a Glasgow timeline of the last 30 years since 1989. And the what we have just now is a questionnaire that is open for anyone to answer that allows them to speak about an event or a moment or uh, any kind of sort of his, something that was important for them in the last 30 years and to add this to the to a timeline. So there might be in many people's minds a sort of existing timeline or an existing way that Glasgow's been described to them like we might think of um you know something like the European capital of culture in 1990 then like creating like a specific way that Glasgow might have been perceived or used by artists but then other people might have a very different mm-hmm. understanding of like what's happened in the last 30 years and why and what a particularly important moment was for them and so we're trying to like get lots of different um histories and lots of different events from people to build uh, first of all, a, a skeleton timeline in the gallery. So Ch- Chodalat will take the responses from the, the questionnaire and construct a sort of image or a, lin- a history on the gallery walls. And then after that, there's a sort of invitation or different mechanisms for people to actively add to the timeline and allow it to grow themselves. So there'll be spaces in the, in the gallery space to, to make or add or to sort of scrub out or these kinds of things it's that interesting thing but that we have an official timeline really an official history i was thinking i was at the mella and you can see the people make glasgow signs but actually what does that mean uh, and this sounds like a project that does engage with that but in a way that doesn't buy into the, the narrative line of glasgow the brand so much but mm-hmm. more about people's lived experiences yeah yeah i think you know speaking to lots of people about it as well it's like it's also it's also been a kind of difficult question to ask like because there are you're already assuming what is the mainstream narrative like I probably in my mind have an idea of what is a mainstream narrative or a mainstream sort of story about Glasgow because of the way I've been brought up but there are already many mainstreams and I think we're trying to sort of so you can't sort of assume that there's one so it's with the project it's been about been trying to sort of yeah speak to different people and build this history up with the assumption that there's not a single mm. new hi- history to be told yeah. but um so it's kind of been interesting to find a way in to kind of ask the question but then also get m- as many interesting mm. responses as we can so how do people find the form to fill in there it's on the C- at the moment it's on the cca website mm-hmm. um there is there's a couple of deadlines because what joe are going to do is they'll take the initial like responses up until the 5th of July and that will be the skeleton timeline and then after that the, any of the further responses will be 
added to the space mm -hmm. by the artists during the installation uh -huh. and then people can also just come into the space when the exhibition is open and, and remove things or add things or um, so there's different layers but also the, probably what a lot of people might want to do is just speak to me and, and mm -hmm. if, if they are interested in adding something or, or but they maybe don't have the time so there's a, a, a number of different ways they can mm -hmm. do it but it's on the website and it's a, a very short questionnaire with eight questions Okay well that's that's doable I think. <laughs> definitely doable right, I'm up to do that in a second what, what seems very exciting about the something's at want to run the whole idea of it is I'm not quite sure what's going to happen in the spaces at various times mm -hmm. but I'm still excited by that sometimes it's a case of I don't know what's happening and that's not exciting to me it's frustrating but this seems this seems very fertile which cunningly leads me on to talking about seeds which mm -hmm. is another project that I believe you're involved in here. yeah yeah that was, that was a good link <laughs> the seed library is something that has we've been working on or thinking on for a really long time it's was launched in, on the 14th of June as part of Amelia Beatrice's exhibition because it connected so much to this idea of growing and when you get to know the land better, you somehow get to know the politics of the land better. And Viviana Kekia, our public engagement curator, has always had this brilliant programme that looks at food, but also the politics of food and food autonomy and sovereignty. And it's always been something that, that, is, that we've all been interested in in various times. And so it launched and, I mean... It's a very simple project. The idea is that you can come and take seeds for free. It's a blue cabinet that sits in the CCA foyer and you, the idea is that you take seeds away, you grow them and in the following year you bring seeds back. And so that's the sort of return or the borrowing mm -hmm. of seeds. There's something very exciting to me about the way the CCA heads out in multiple directions at the same time, but they all seem to be emerging from something that's very engaged with people's lived experience. It's also a lot of work that challenges ideas of what art does and what its public function is. And there's a lot about, mm -hmm. that's one of the things I've noticed. But thank you so much for coming to join me today. It's been a real pleasure. I'm sure I could get you on here every month to talk <laughs> about the projects that are working here. So maybe, yeah, watch out for the email from me. And thank you so much for Thanks, talking. <laughs> Well, I think it's time to delve a little bit deeper into some things want to run. I have Carrie Skinner who has joined me. Your piece, I've got to be careful and count the words as I say this. Let the music play on and on and on and on and on and on and on. 13th of July to the 18th of August, quite a long run and a long title. I'm going to have to start and ask you, <laughs> you did promise to tell me why are there so many and ons? Well, the title is from Barry White's song, Let the Music Play. And that's how many times he repeats it at, at one moment in the song, sort of directly drawn from that. I guess the title is knowingly anarchic or mischievous. Mm -hmm. It's quite difficult for people like yourself. Well, it's difficult to, to for Twitter. <laughs> You're yeah, undermining exactly. Twitter here. I am. I'm, I'm undermining lots of things. I think, yeah, it's sort of knowingly mischievous um, in its presentation, but I think it kind of speaks to the central theme of the project, which is something about duration. Ah, okay. Well, it's yeah. it's quite a nice long run you've got here. In yeah, CCA. exactly. Because from what we were saying before we came on air, you work kind of between theatre and installation mm -hmm. and art. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about how you got to this particular exhibition? What was the journey towards it? Oh, yeah. Well, I've been making work since I graduated from the art school, of course, a million years ago. But I've been making like explicitly performance work for the last four or five years. My work previously kind of had been sort of nods to performance through making the making of like stage sets um theater spaces and then increasingly um adding characters or like bodies into those spaces and then the spaces kind of erased and i was just left with performing performing performers usually myself this project um has come about 
um, I guess just um, over time, the team at the CCA have been kind of keeping an eye on what I've been doing. And this is an unusual sort of prospect for me because I've been making work, as I say, about about duration, about it's kind of one shot, one time only, one night for an audience to see something. So making a performance work that stretches over five weeks, or I think it's 100, 893 hours I worked out, is quite a challenge for me, particularly as the, the last work I made for Glasgow International, uh, the previous Glasgow International, was the logical conclusion of that was um, I made a work outside a gallery space and I never let the audience in to the gallery mm-hmm. space. So the logical conclusion of that work was, Ugh, I'm not really interested in making work in galleries anymore. I'd kind of said goodbye to that. So this is a fun challenge now to kind of return to presenting work in a space, in a kind of... Which space, space are you in? CCA2, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. this, so so you're, at, you're being brought indoors this time. I'm being brought indoors and I'm sort of very much thinking about the, the architecture of the space and the history of the space. That was another part of the invitation from the, the CCA. I was the archivist here for a, a couple of years. Um, so I have um, an unusually in-depth knowledge of the CCA and its predecessor, mm-hmm. the Third Eye Centre. So all of that knowledge is kind of getting woven into mm-hmm. this project somehow. But what about Barry White? Where does Barry what White come into Barry this? <laughs> so the previous work that I mentioned for GI, so this, yeah, this work is, is literally picking up where we left off with that. So the, the, the final moment of that show was a previously invisible performer finally appearing and walking into the gallery space and Barry White playing. That was the kind of moment of release for the audience after quite a lot of tension building. Um, so sort of picking up from there, I guess Barry White, that song in particular, and disco as a genre in general uh, has been kind of something. Are you a, are you a disco fan? Very big disco mm-hmm. fan. <laughs> fan and then geek, I guess. Um, I'm sort of interested in it for lots of reasons. I, I, I think it's kind of, it's somewhere between of euphoria and melancholy like Mm. it's the lyrics are always about time and about trying to change time to be let's make tonight last forever let's make it Friday night like someone's missing someone's always absent something's always gone and so I'm sort of interested in that kind of um yeah the, the melancholy behind mm. that and Barry White's this particular song by Barry White is a story really about dancing dancing the night away to kind of forget someone who's not there um, I don't think of Barry White as a dancer really is that no, prejudice yeah. I mean I, I see him more as this very soulful big event yeah quite, quite sexual a lot of the time yeah, yeah. But this is this is him dancing yeah well I and I've, co- I've kind of collected I'm working with a choreographer on this project Romani Deer mm-hmm. um who's an artist herself and um we are looking at a collection of YouTube videos that I've kind of been collecting together over a few years of various old live performances of Barry White singing this song over time and um, I guess something for that I'm interested in about like the musician's live performance to an audience always as if it's the first time Mm. always as if it's like new and now um, and particularly for a song that is so much about time and and absence um, it's, it's particularly pertinent and um, watching these repeat performances over over time as his as he ages as his body changes as the kind of even just the kind of fashion and kind of the way audiences respond to him over time is mm. really interesting i have to say as well your poster for yeah. this a very spectral looking <laughs> quite a, a striking poster it's certainly yeah. something in, in visual art terms it's really accessible as mm. an image it's a ghostly image yeah. is that an important way of framing the exhibition yeah well i, I guess this sh- exhibition is is probably a kind of um 
this sounds quite uh, egotistical, but kind of like best of or greatest hits of all the kind of motifs that have littered my work over the last kind of 10 years or so. And the ghost is kind of a reoccurring motif. Like my, my work has always been grounded in my interest in Gothic imagery and mm. literature. Um, and yeah, the ghost is a recurring motif and um, this the, the ghost kind of will appear, I guess, or at least a kind of suggestion that there is a kind of um, the space and the the song and everything, all the objects in the space kind of have a vibrancy mm. around them. Yeah, the, the image actually I made in Berlin with a, an artist I'm working with, Michael Eber Hanke. Um, so we shot that in Berlin and um, the kind of bed sheets as well will be a motif because it's a very DIY image, I guess. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, it's certainly... Yeah. It's not a real ghost. I'm not scared of it, but yeah. it's that uh, iconic image of exactly. the bedsheet ghost that yeah. kids always dress up as, or whatever. Yeah, that's something again. I guess is something about being offered an opportunity, like working in the CCA, um, sort of staying true to my kind of values, uh, aesthetic values, mm -hmm. which are usually kind of a bit crappy, a bit kind of yeah, a bit DIY, a bit, mm -hmm. a bit kind of improvised. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to kind of keep myself focused on that that aesthetic mm. and not um you know when you suddenly have a big space and a, a bit of a nice budget like just to just to make everything streamlined and polished and get rid so of the rough edges which is just as crappy as ever <laughs> absolutely uh, well that's not the way i'd frame it but there's quite a few people you say developed and produced with yeah, uh, exactly. at the bottom there's a lot of kind of thank yous if you like yeah. are, are these people are going to be involved in the actual process or is it more a case of you collaborated in the making um they yeah i i um so i came to performance mostly um out of expediency um, when I was studying um, at Glasgow University when I was studying um, theatre there um, and I was working on my own and, and I suddenly realised that was the exactly the opposite reason of why I wanted to begin working in performance and theatre because I wanted that kind of collaboration I was kind of didn't wasn't content working on my own all the time so um, yeah over the last few years I guess I've kind of grown a kind of um, team of people mm -hmm. um, near me. I have a dramaturg, Andrew Edwards, a writer. I mentioned Alexander Story Gordon and an amazing um, uh, Jen Sykes. She's a um, interactive designer. Yeah. Um, she's phenomenal. Wow. So, she, so there's quite a lot going on there. Yeah, in, there's a lot going in on. In terms of the dramaturgy, shall we say. You, yeah. You've got a dramaturg, but that's the entire process is a, a dramaturgical process, yeah. which is really exciting. And, and you're set within a, a series of events in the CCA that seem to be performance orientated, mm. even though it's a gallery space there's yeah. a lot going on there are you quite comfortable alongside something like vda for example yeah yeah um i mean their work is amazing and mm. i think very different i think i trust the kind of curatorial team at the cca and i think everything i think there's some really nice crossovers there that we've sort of all maybe we're all realizing the, the crossovers between our work as as the the kind of um project the wider project mm. comes together well, I've, um, I've noticed with doing the podcast and the people I speak to, what appears in my first look as an impenetrable and complex and detailed and busy schedule mm, in the yeah. CCA. And of course, because it's open source, it's it's got that, those yeah. edges to it. There's actually a tremendous coherence mm. in terms of the thought over time and, and within exhibition periods as well. There's one last thing that I have to ask you about because the internet, the internet. You're, you're streaming this. Is that right? No, no, oh, no, case, no, we, no, we were going to stream it. Mm -hmm. um, we were going to stream it. I've used live stream before in my practice. Mm -hmm. No, I think what it, that, that question may be... Um, I'll just leave it. Just well, no, it, it does relate to, in terms of the busyness of the programme, mm -hmm. I am talking about this as one event. Mm -hmm. And 
that for me felt quite important because I'm sort of trying to find, I guess I've never really felt satisfied when I've seen a performance in a gallery space, what is left in the space afterwards. And I've always felt that, that there's a kind of un, uh, unintentional, usually like hierarchy that the audience then place between the things that are in the space and the, the, the moments of performance. And I think maybe the things that get left in the space are never really considered Mm. work or equal to the like people maybe just focus on the performance itself so I've I'm trying to kind of um equal equalize the the moments when there is something happening in the space that you might describe as more like performance mm -hmm. with like uh, a moving human body um and then the the kind of props and objects in the space so the there will be moments throughout the the five weeks um where things will happen but they won't necessarily be announced to mm. the audience so i'm really interested in um chance and variable encounter mm. variable experience which feels quite risky because um to me anyway because of course like I can't make sure that all the important people see the good stuff or like that my mum and dad see the, the good stuff, you know. So you might arrive in the space and, and maybe just encounter something with an object or you might mm. arrive in the space and you encounter kind of uh, uh, an acting. That is certainly going to ask some interesting questions about the nature of an exhibition and mm. how it works in terms of duration and yeah. its relationship to performance and curation as a form of dramaturgy and all sorts of things that I'm yeah. very excited by. But I will stop ranting about that now because... Well, I really need to say, <laughs> Carrie Skinner's let the music play on and on and on and on and on and on and on. 13th of July to the 18th of August. This poem actually is all this, this poem that, that I will speak and say a little bit about is also written on them. And Ashanti also, she reads this poem at the end of the show, and I sing over the top. And it was written really quickly and very emotively for me. So I become quite a, found, a foundation of what I'm thinking, especially like being in these certain situations. It's hard to articulate yourself, you know. On, a, on some days it's like I'm reeling it off and it's all really clear and concise and the person's getting or getting where I'm coming from. And then other days I don't, I don't feel too good. So I, so I think it's nice to have these things that are written. Anyway. It's evident, of course, it's evidence we have to prove wasting our precious time schooling, schooling in order to make a path for ourselves, slowing down our fire. My vessel can be seen for sure, but don't get seen, noticed or considered unless you are seen to reach the sometimes clear, sometimes disguised colonial goals and achievements. I'm really pleased now to have moved next door into the gallery to chat to Mele Brooms, who is, I'm going to say, how would, I, how would I describe you within the context of Sonic Sounds and VDA? You're the founder of the company, but you're one of the team, the choreographer. How would you describe your own role in it? Uh, I guess it's quite it's quite mixed. Yeah, I founded it in 2011, I think. And I've worked, I work in it with, as a dancer, as a choreographer, as a director. Some of the logistics, sometimes a lot of the logistics. There's multiple roles depending on projects, but quite often behind the computer as well. 
All the fun parts then, yeah, basically. Exactly. Well, we're here in the gallery. I know you better as a performance artist, a, a dancer, but you're creating an installation. Is that fair to describe Sonic Seance, the gathering, as an installation? Because there's a lot going on in here. I think it's called an installation because it's in, uh, it's in a gallery space, but I've never done an installation before. And it's, I guess it's also, it's not just mine. It's a, it's a collaboration. We have video work, performances, workshops. So I, I, I can call it what, what you want. It's in a gallery, so people will call it an installation. So I guess it's an installation. <laughs> That's the problem with people like me, the critics trying to define everything and make sure you stay in your artistic box all the time. So I apologize for that. You've got an amazing lineup of people mm. as well. Mm-hmm. How did you come to collaborate with the, the group? Because it's quite extensive. I can't even name everyone. Yeah. But um, Jen Martin's involved. Yeah. Patricia Panther. That's really exciting as well. Yeah. And I'm looking along here. Shanti Harris. Yeah. I'm not going to list them all, but yeah. how did you find these people? Um, uh, so Patricia Panther to start with I worked with her on Grin she did the sound so we worked quite closely to get the sound score for that and she's also worked on um, the sound score for uh, a Nancy project with with, um, Project X which I'm a co-director of Um, and then Shandy Harris I am she is one of one of three (laughs) of Project X so I work with her on various of projects and good friend Letitia Polides um, she's my my friend and, and housemate, DJ, uh, part you know, dancer, dance to her music on the dance floor. And actually, with Letitia, I started the project. <laughs> Um, and we did it at the workroom beyond their 10th anniversary. Actually, the work was called Displays then. It was about it was about cleaning and what cleaning meant to women. So first, I was thinking about cleaning up after people, and then it came, came into like cleaning up the voice and being palatable. Um, so we started that journey there together, and then we continued. And Jen Martin is someone that I've met quite recently. Um, she's a filmmaker. I just like working with people that are just like nice to each other. So I think that's was, a very yeah, good foundation. She's lovely. She's like, I was like, I've not seen much of your work, but you're lovely. So that's great. So let's just do it together. <laughs> if you have to be in a space together, I think that's as important as any other considerations. Absolutely. I really think that's it. And you're definitely in a space. You're here for quite a while, right until the 28th of July. Mm. Now, there's a few things that are happening as part of that kind of events or performances. Is, is that the focus or is it the, the overall experience of just wandering into the gallery and seeing what's going on here? Uh, there's no particular focus. It's how each person takes it. I think some people won't want to come to any of them, any of the workshops. And also there's a lot of people that are not invited to the workshops so they can come to the gallery and maybe grasp an understanding of why certain spaces are for certain people so I don't think there's any particular focus on where people should go some things are definitely directed to where people shouldn't go (laughs) okay is there something about reclaiming space for certain groups of people within the exhibition then that's like in any space in the whole of the UK really if you're in any kind of arts organization organized space Mm -hmm. it's always about reclaiming but I'm I'm not I guess I'm of not preaching that in mm. um, like in the work or in, in the concept like we are reclaiming base because that's just a, a underlying thing when working all the time mm-hmm. it's more about the individual voices in the in the work and how they feel as women and how they feel as marginalized voices mm-hmm. and do you feel that by expanding what well, sonic sounds existed as a performance first of all yeah in the tramway and bring it over here there's an expansion of it i think mm. into across time sort of more of a durational experience is it a case of breaking down that performance and allowing it to explore itself i guess over time yeah in a slightly more static way as well yeah like there's yeah there's a couple of parts that is like 
the fastness of making theatre and that production was made really fast, really intense. It was nuts, but we had a, luckily, because we're a great team, we all were great, but it could have been something else. And it was like, we didn't get to do all the, we didn't get to breathe. We didn't get to have all the conversations that we needed to, mm-hmm. needed to and some things that we needed to address within the subject matter or what each individual person was talking about because everyone's got a really completely different perspective. So this this project was supposed to allow it to breathe, but it just it has allowed it to breathe. There's also some a next level of intensity um, that's that's brought to it because we do have quite a, like a healthy schedule of workshops and things. In terms of the way it's described, it mm. talks about four main creators within mm. it with additional people supporting do, do you have your own space within the exhibition individually or is it all collaborative and you're working together and you can't tell who did what in some points you might not be able to tell who did what in terms of this gallery space there's four video works <clears throat> that Jen Martin collaborated with myself Ashanti Leticia and uh, Patricia uh, and that's a, the journey from from Sonic Seance brought on into film and then we have our writings which are our own individual writings so they they are clearly our our works. But is that the, the wonderful sheets? That yeah. Are, are those your ones they're at fact, the moment? They're, they're all four of us. And we've got different colours that mm-hmm. represent yeah. each artist. And then in terms of like the other artists that are invited to uh, d- deliver workshops and, and perform and put work in, it's there. That's a, in a response to artists that I feel like um, would be interested in the work, in the people involved and us trying to, to celebrate and ourselves, mm-hmm. our practice who we are and where we come from. There's quite a few events that are connected with this. There's something about the Sonic Seance choreographic repertoire which you're taking. Mm. What could someone expect if they come along to that workshop? So in Sonic Seance we have a lit we have small little phrases that happen and drew, and through the journey we all made up little things some things didn't really quite kind of make it so I'm just creating like a, a collaborative like choreography that I feel like everyone can join in and feel like a, a group energy um, and just to like move their body it's not it's not so deep it's just yeah. well if I go for a slightly deeper question then um, <laughs> what, what does seance mean in this context to you what is what is a sonic seance I guess oh this is yeah many things and we all have individuals so I can only really talk of course. from yeah. for me for me it's like a it's a it's a calling it's like a it's a trying like pat it's to try and pass through or it's a trying to think outside of the reality that we already live in quite often when I'm talking or in discussions about my identity or myself in the industry or what, whatever it is it still it still exists within this hierarchy so it doesn't matter how I'm speaking how I'm saying it if I say it clearly if I say it dynamically if I've got nice rhythm if I doesn't matter it still exists within those structures so the seance allows it to take it beyond that because it's to, to to the audience or to other people it's like it's fiction it's 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 not it's a diff- they're trying to create like a different reality or they're trying to or I'm trying to like um, move past a, around therefore I can I can say whatever I want to say I can I can connect in whatever way that I want to connect without feeling a, a pressure of like I'm to, uh, it's just me speaking it's also like the the sonic seance thing in terms of we use like vocals and sound and when we were like rehearsing it and creating it there was like lots of sound that was created and I did lots of vocal things at home that didn't necessarily got, get in but it really was very char it was really charging it was really like <laughs> 
I felt like I was having a really like deep connection to my to myself and that to not to, to worry about how people perceive me not everyone's going to understand well thank you so much I'm, I'm so glad you said that at the end I've spent the last six months saying the VDA now that stands for various dance artists doesn't yeah. it yes and, and also Project X are the most exciting things happening within performance within Scotland I'd say at the moment there anyway, big claim probably the world but I only ever get to see anything Thanks, in Pat. Scotland not at all so that's part of Some Things Want to Run VDA Sonic Seance The Gathering from the 29th of June through to the 28th of July thank you so much Melly. it's all always a pleasure to bump into Ninian around the CCA and I've managed to drag him down into the cinema today to talk about one of Paragon's events that's happening but I think perhaps first of all Ninian would you mind introducing yourself and what is Paragon? Paragon Music is uh, an arts organisation based in the CCA. We're an inclusive arts organisation so we involve people with many different support needs and in the creation and performance of their own work, music, dance, um, theatre, film, all kinds of different arts, performing arts. And yes, it's an opportunity for people that wouldn't normally get the chance to participate and create their own music and uh, art. Yeah, this is a, this is really reaching out to isolated people and giving them the opportunity to come together and perform their own work. You travel quite a lot around Scotland doing this work, don't you? Yes, we do. Yeah, we go to Dumfries, go to Edinburgh. We've been further north. Uh, at times as well but our our main stomping ground I would say is probably Glasgow Mm -hmm. Glasgow Dumfries and Edinburgh are our main main places where we tend to work so yeah um, we put on uh, we've got various programs that we run you know for young people and then for older people and it's either it's just really about having fun Mm -hmm. making up your own music and dance and Putting it, put, putting it on in a performance set setting. But it, we've got sort of skilled professional artists who are, are all trained in, in working with um, different groups, what we call inclusive practice. And that means making the art accessible to people so that it's easy for them to create their own work. So, for example, in um, July, we're going to be at the CCA and we're running a program of inclusive music and dance and the dance idea is really the focus so we'll have professional dancers who will come in and lead the sessions and there will also be live music that's quite a a, a luxury really for most dancers because they normally work from a soundtrack but we find that it's it's the most effective way of creating dance with people who may have additional support needs because that gives them a lot more flexibility, a lot more freedom, um, and the musicians can adapt and be flexible with timings and making up their own music. So, yeah, we have an absolutely brilliant time, I have to say. It's, it's on every every day during the week between something like, I don't know, 11 and 2 or something like that. I can't remember the exact time. And um, will there be a performance at the end of it as well? There'll be a sort of sharing thing, yeah, because people really have this, these are people who've never had a chance to do it in their lives before and and then so yeah they're quite surprised at the fact that they can actually do it and then so on Friday um, we'll put on a little performance of it and it'd be lovely to see folk come in from the general public uh, any any members of the CCA that want to come and see what we've been doing over the week One of the things that I pick up on on your work generally, but in particular this project, is that it brings together the best of three worlds in many ways. First of all, there's professionalism and the opportunity, the quality, if you like, of the work that you're making. These are artists having an opportunity to work in a way they wouldn't usually get to work. You talked about the live musicians working with dancers and that being a bit of a luxury. Then on top of that, you have the accessibility, the inclusion. But then finally, 
you mentioned it's quite a lot of fun as well. So there's a community aspect as well. You're building a community and all of these three things are meshing together. Is that really how you see Paragon's vision in terms of what you're there for? Um, yeah, that's pretty good way of uh, looking at it. Um, we, we definitely want to create this uh, atmosphere, a sort of community, family atmosphere. And in fact, speaking of family, it's very much about, uh, you know, people who have additional support needs will generally rely very much on their family members, uh, parents, carers, support workers. Um, and it's we're also engaging with those uh, people who to, to enable them to either have a bit of a break or also to to participate as well if they want. So it's 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 very inclusive in that respect. But and and, and there's very much a community, a very much a family um, feel to it. Um, I mean, I have to say, you know. I mean, the work is really superb and we'll, we'll be putting on performances. I mean, for example, tomorrow we're putting on a showcase of performances um, in in platform theatre, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a, a great space. Um, there'll be dance, there'll be music. And in fact, we've got the whole day is going to be full of opportunities for people to take part in workshops and get get a feel for what Paragon does, you know. And at the weekend you performed in the Mellow. What were you doing up there? Oh yeah, Mela. Yeah, so uh, we've got lots of uh, friends uh, from various cultural backgrounds, um, and we love playing their music. So yeah, we were playing some. Uh, I think it was African music from Ghana, and we were also singing. We had some wonderful Gaelic singing with us as well. Mm-hmm. You know, fantastic Gaelic singer. So it was a great blend of cultures that was going on. Mm-hmm. So Paragons very much been doing that for a number of years. Well, actually. that's what I was going to say. And you seem to have a knowledge of. A wide variety of different musics from around the world. And I think we've talked about Indian music quite a lot. That's that's something you seem very knowledgeable and engaged with. But then you also worked in a classical background in the UK, haven't you? Yes, yes. My, my background has been uh, generally most, mostly Western classical music. But I've always had a deep interest in Indian classical music and Indian music altogether, folk music, traditional music. And so um, we've been out to India a few times, Paragon has, and works with a big NGO out there in Mumbai called ADAPT, which used to be called the Spastic Society in, in days gone by. So it's a big uh, uh, organization and we go out and, and create music with with the guys out there. Um, in fact, <coughs> uh, there's some friends of ours over here at the moment from, from uh, Mumbai, which is great. So we've got this uh, good great relationship between India and Scotland um, and uh, w- yeah we should be going out there again later on the year, in the year. And that's always the point at which I get quite jealous of the energy and dynamism of Paragon as an organisation. You're, you're a musician yourself as well, you play the double bass? I, I do, that's right, yes I used to have, I, I spent a number of years in the in the orchestras mm-hmm. around Scotland, around the UK and touring and all that kind of thing so yeah I know all that kind of repertoire and what made you decide that you wanted to work more in this i'm going to say community orientated or inclusive what was the thing that made you feel this is where i can be most useful or most happy that's a interesting question uh, paragon's been going now for whew, 30 odd years um and in about 1990 we started developing our outreach work and we started doing a lot of work in the schools and the centers and working with different community groups and we found that by uh, encouraging people to create their own pieces, then that made the music that we were playing uh, much more accessible. And so we found that over time, um, people started to gain a, a, a huge interest in it, and we wanted to support that interest and help them take it further. In a sense, Paragon's always been doing this kind of work, in a, although 
maybe in a different genre, musical genre. Now it's much more popular, much more approachable f- for many different um, audiences. But yeah, it stems from that initial time when Paragon was a Western classical contemporary music mm. organization. And uh, it was all about helping people to create and perform their own stuff mm. then. And it's just taken on a life of its own, if you like. I mean, I know you now, as we say, outreach, but inclusive and working with communities. But I can just about remember when you were making contemporary avant-garde experimental works. I think you were at one of Cryptic's festivals on, on one occasion some years back. Yes, that's right. We we used to partner up with uh, our, the wonderful Theatre Cryptic. Um, and we did two or three wonderful pieces mm-hmm. uh, with them. Uh, a great Gavin Breyer's piece uh, in the tramway and um, also some other fantastic uh, projects as well no so it's always been they're always great partners mm. and they're still in the building as well just and they are next still door very to you aren't they're they? very close to us yes absolutely but uh, for this month it's worth saying that the paragon music event which is it's down here is the m3 dance and live music week what's the m3 bit the m3 stands for make music move aha okay <laughs> make music move which is the 22nd to the 26th of july yeah. With a performance. And is it in the evening of the 26th? No, in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Great. So a nice, easy time to get there as well. I don't know whether it actually says on that sheet what time it's supposed to be running from. Is, is it, it, it says 11 a.m. 11, 11 till 2. Yeah. So on the on the Friday, uh, then we'll be doing a little performance at um, about 1.30. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, you so much for taking the time. Thanks very much. And my next guest, would you mind introducing yourself first of all? Um, I'm Najma Booker. I'm an artist, I guess. This is the first time I'm saying this out loud. So, <laughs> but I mainly work with photography. Well, that, that's a question that I know most artists hate, which is what is your art form? But you work mostly with photography. I do. Yes, I do. Interested in documenting cultural, cultural and gender, gender identities mm-hmm. and the African diaspora and immigrant experiences. Mm-hmm. Oh, all good stuff then. That's excellent. Are you based in Glasgow? I am based in mm-hmm. Glasgow. I've been living in Glasgow for the past 19 years now. Oh, that's about the same as me yeah. as well. Are you enjoying it yet? <laughs> yes, although I don't sound Glaswegian and or Scottish, so people always keep asking me where I'm from. I get I that as well. I know. It's really irritating, isn't it? It's like, where am I from? I mean, yeah, I'm now officially on half of my life in Scotland. So yeah. anyway, that, that aside, you're coming to the CCA, I think, is it 12th of July? 12th of July, 6pm to 8pm, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm here. I'll be here to present my project that I've been working on for the past seven months. It's uh, it's called Home and Hospitality. And on the 12th, it'll be the launch of it. And it's um, artist artistic collaboration between me, another artist who's a potter, Ruth mm-hmm. Impey. We created a crockery set for the city. Mm-hmm. It's also, it's through Kuke. Do you know anything about Kuke? <laughs> Not at all. No, that was going to be my next question. I'm... Um, Woefully under-researched, as so, usual. All right, okay, it's okay. Kuke is a social business. It's a um, multicultural kitchen for everyone. And we do, or they do, events, food-led events, community projects, and multicultural cuisines and catering. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, in terms of multiculturalism, what, what does that term mean to you? Because it seems it's a big part of the work that you're doing. Th- does it have a particular meaning for you? Or is it just a, a kind of bucket term for a lot of different possibilities? Yes, I guess what you said it's a celebration of different cultures Mm. isn't it Mm. whether we celebrate it through food or heritage and culture so yeah for me it means all those things culture and heritage and 
celebrating all those differences. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's really important, that word celebration, isn't it? Yes, it and is. And there seems to be, whenever an event is multicultural and when it engages with that in a meaningful way, there's much more of a sense of joy, yes. I think, than in perhaps more mundane. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing my art now and it's very serious. <laughs> what was it about photography that interests you? Why do you like working in it? It's about stories. I think I'm very curious and I'm not good with words. I wish I could write all my thoughts. I have so many things going through my head, but I can't seem to put them down in in words. So I think through photography, I can express myself through images and images really speak to me in that sense. I'm very visual as a person. I watch a lot of things visually. So yeah, it's been a, a cathartic way for me to sort of release my feelings and emotions, I guess, mm-hmm. through images. I feel quite bad, as you said, I'm not so keen on words to drag you onto the podcast in a, a very non-visual format. So I apologise <laughs> for that straight away. And is Glasgow somewhere where you feel that the images are calling out to you? Is it, is it a good place to be working as a photographer? <laughs> That's a good question. I like to do more, but I'm also reserved in the sense that I am scared to approach people. Mm -hmm. But I am part of a community, the immigrant community. So approaching them, I'm less shy Mm because I feel like I share same experiences with them and I can approach certain people in that sense. But but sometimes I feel I'm not doing enough. And it's true as well because I've... I should be doing more with my photography, but it's that step of approaching people that I need to work on. (laughs) Well, if you're coming into the CCA and putting something on, I think that's you're doing plenty. I I wouldn't knock yourself back for that too much. And you you say you belong to an immigrant community. I I don't like to ask this question, but I'm going to. Where where did you come to Glasgow from? Oh, that's, uh, well, (laughs) no, usually the the question people ask me is, uh, how did you end up in Glasgow, Scotland? Well, that's very pessimistic, isn't it? Always. It's like, how did you come here? Or like, what made you come here? And my answer is always, the Home Office made me come here. Right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because before that, I didn't even know what Scotland was or what Mm -hmm. Glasgow was. I, I really had no idea. And I was 14 at the time with my mother. And we just, obviously, we cleaned asylum in London. And um, this was in 2000. And they were transferring people here because obviously London, England was a bit crowded and we had no choice but to come here. Right, okay. So so the, it wasn't a free choice to come to Glasgow. Definitely. Is it okay? Is it a uh, choice? Well, we didn't know what it was or where mm. we were going. So when we were told it's eight hours on a bus, we thought we were not in the UK at all, that we were going to a separate country. <laughs> Well, it may be yet, so don't don't worry about that. Yeah. It, could, it could end up independent if we go on like we are at the moment. But so, <laughs> <Let's> so, <hope> so. <laughs> I'm, I'm not passing any comment on that, but that, that's that's great. How did the collaboration come about? What what got you together with somebody working in pottery? I have um, an existing relationship with Kuke. They had asked me if I wanted to do some pottery, and I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really didn't know what crockery or pottery or ceramics meant. And uh, yeah, I was supposed to do some a week workshop just learning how to throw the the crockery set or whatever but it proved to be very difficult Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then yeah cookie sort of uh, suggested that i get a mentor and we worked we would work together and that's how ruth came into the project as um and then it became a collaboration between me and her and we explored as well the ideas of um, heritage and culture which are very important to Mm -hmm. me and representation and belonging and identity and that's when we called it home and hospitality. Yeah, I guess it plays on the sense that it's about crockery, it's about food, but it's also about the the other side of it, of feeling where it's of asking those questions of 
where is home. There's something very beautiful about using something like crockery or, or pottery, which sometimes we think of as being, or I think of as being something that's in the house, not an artwork. But what you're doing is you're reminding the audience, I guess, of the artistry that surrounds us all the time, but also the fact that art can have meaning in our personal lives and that, that storytelling thing. See, it seems quite a logical step for you to have taken. Yes. Um, also, I've um, I've actually been working with the with the crockery, like designing, actually sort of making designs on mm. them. And it was inspired by where I'm from, Somalia. So it's geometric, um, symmetric, I think, designs. And just thinking about, we've looked at some images from Somalia that we could find and see what kind of designs they used to do. And uh, yeah, it's been seven months of hard work and trying to work with something I've never done before. Mm. It's been um, a really long and laborious process. And I feel very much attached to the mm-hmm. to the crockery at the moment, and I feel like they should be in a collection or a mm-hmm. museum and be guarded somewhere. <laughs> well, the CCA is the first step, isn't it, towards that? I think yeah, so. That's great. But they're going to be around. They'll be available to the city, so mm-hmm. to the white city, everyone is going to be eating off people's faces, I guess, because <laughs> my pictures will be on them. Wonderful! Oh, uh, that's yeah, incredible. it's a transfer of the pictures mm-hmm. that I've done because we had um. A community pop-up studio here at the CCA and also Transmission Gallery. Oh yeah, where I was able to take. I invited people who are doing great things. A very diverse group of people in Glasgow. Some I know, some I don't know, but we've contacted a lot of people to come through to have their pictures taken, mm-hmm. and I've had conversations with them and audio interviews, asking them questions like, "Where are you from?" And what do you miss about home? What do you like about Glasgow? Hopes and aspirations for the future. So it's been a beautiful process of people sharing and yeah. It's the 12th of July, that's a Friday at 6pm. And that's the launch of Home and Hospitality. It is. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. I do have one final guest who is actually, we're going to break the themes, I guess, a little bit. Talking about Free Pie, Chloe, welcome. Who are you and... What makes you the person to talk about Free Pride today? Yeah, so I'm Chloe. Um, I'm one of the people organising Free Pride this year. I was available today. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's not the only reason. So <laughs> can I just ask then a little bit about Free Pride? Because we're actually in Pride Month at the moment, aren't we? And this yes. doesn't happen until the 3rd of August. I've heard about Free Pride for the last maybe sort of four or five years, perhaps. Yeah. So what what is it? Yeah, so this will be, I think, our fifth year running. So yeah, I've been going for a few years. Yeah, as you said, Pride Month at least in America, it's typically June. Scotland, it's always been kind of spread out over quite a long time. Traditionally, it's always been August in um, in Glasgow, so we're kind of sat in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we started a few years ago. It really just is a really quite a big, quite a mixed group of people who just were frustrated and were quite angry with what we felt mainstream pride and the mainstream queer scene had become. Pride itself felt completely depoliticised. There was we just felt the issues that were that were relevant to us as queer people, the things we were struggling with. None of that was being addressed. A lot of the, I mean, for example, there's lots of sponsorships, like corporate sponsorships we had a lot of issues with that felt really unethical and it felt like Pride was moving towards something that was that was commercial and was really for the benefit of businesses and not people. So we started something that was alternative, it was free, it wasn't ticketed, just, just as a change to that. So to have something set up that other people could go along to and could feel included, could feel like it was a safe space, but also to, to raise this issue, to kind of raise mm. a, a wider discussion about what we think queer politics should be like. I think there's something very interesting and I, at this point I have to take my teeth out and talk like an old person because the idea of a mainstream queer 
scene is quite a fascinating one for me because I grew up in a period where queer was definitely identified as a subversive and, and, and angular and seems to me that Free Pride sits in that tradition more than there's a contemporary usage of queer where you can talk about a mainstream queerness but this seems to be going back to a politically engaged queerness yeah i suppose i think it probably is quite a, a new way of talking about it and i think it is that some people in our communities rights have advanced to a certain stage where it almost feels like you've got a bit of a kind of seat at the table of, of privilege i suppose so a lot of people i think felt like the kind of movement stopped at equal marriage whereas actually there's a lot of material things we still don't have and there's different sections of the community that are still really marginalized in different ways i think where yeah there's certain sections of the community that have kind of left other sections behind yeah so certain sections of the, the community that are maybe more privileged at this point that have left behind the more marginalized parts of the community and yeah you're right i think a lot of what we've tried to do is go back to what we feel are the root of pride which for us is it is about protest but within that it's also about community building it's about bringing people together over collective struggle and collective issues to try and make society better on a whole basically how long have you been involved with the uh, free pride right so from the beginning from the from the first year mm-hmm. i've kind of been increasingly involved over the last mm. few years do you, do you have a particular role that, that you do or it's, is, is it's it not working that structural through, way yeah. it's changed throughout the kind of time we've done it and because we we have been we, although it's been a few years it is a relatively new group i think a lot of the people that got involved in the beginning were quite young maybe quite new to activism so it's definitely been a lot of trial and error of how how we organize things so we've had more structured committees we've at this point kind of got a bit more of a collective approach so it really is just people pitching in and doing tasks where they can obviously people have different skill sets and we utilize that but we've not kind of yeah. a set box on what people can do so which seems quite important if you're talking about queerness and the breaking of boundaries anyway so if your actual structures are reflecting that i think that's really important yeah i think so far we've found that that more useful for us because we definitely have tried to kind of mirror maybe a more kind of charity approach where there is a there is a bit of a hierarchy or a clear structure and it's not really felt like that's reflected what we're doing that well so yeah definitely i think a collective approach really fits in with our politics is free pride just a is it a glasgow generated organization then if yeah, at the moment. So there are similar things in other parts of the country and I'm sure other parts of the world as well. So we've seen like an increasing amount of prides popping up all over the place. A lot of those, again, are increasingly commercialised, but there's also been a lot of alternative ones that have been popping up over the last few years, which is amazing to see. So there's like West Lothian Pride has popped up. That's that's independent. It's not commercial. Trans Pride Scotland started in the last few years as well, which is kind of a similar approach to it. But yeah, we, we are Glasgow focused. <laughs> So we've, we've kind of grown out of Glasgow. And is there still a parade aspect to it, or is that not something that you're picking up on? So not for our event. It's never been us that have organised the parade. It's always been the kind of main Glasgow parade, which is done, obviously, in partnership with the council and everything. And we've always gone and taken part in that. So this year, because our event... This is the first time we're doing our event on a separate date <laughs> than the, the mainstream Pride, partly because it had been always the same date as the main Pride Glasgow event in the past, and we'd wanted to provide that alternative. But it feels like now that there is a few different Prides in Glasgow, Glasgow, we feel like we've got to a point where it maybe is useful just to have our own event and just have it mm. have it be its own thing and its own celebrations. We won't have a march alongside it, but we will be joining the main march on July 20th, so we'll have a block there. So you'll be present, but... Yeah, we'll be doing a similar thing as we've done in the last few years, so we'll, we'll be kind of trying to address the issues that we think are important, mm. so we'll have placards, we'll have chanting, we'll do all that kind of stuff as well, so we are asking people to join us for that. Mm, great, and in terms of your own events in the past... Have you put productions on or what kind of events have you done in the past? So predominantly it is the main Pride event that we do. Yeah. And there's a lot 
within that so it's essentially like a one day festival so it's got workshops it's got talks we get guests in to talk about different issues and um, we've had music performances we have a lot of kind of arts and crafts and things like that stall holders and um, there's always an after party which has got djs and performers so that's always been our kind of primary focus but we have done other things over the few years we've tried we've tried different things out we've tried doing kind of smaller community events we've done different club nights as fundraisers different kind of arts events and film screenings so we've, we've had quite a good good mix of things it's something that seems to reach out from the genesis of it in a resistance to a mainstreaming of pride of the corporate takeover of it i really think i mean something that, that really surprised me i think it was last year where they had one of the bank ATMs had a big rainbow on it. And I just wondered to myself, is, is that what the legacy of Stonewall is? That they, now banks can be right on and on side by selling themselves through Pride. And yeah. there, there's been a few issues as well, I think, sort of nationally with Prides where intersectionality has not been respected very well. There's questions of how the different groups engage with Pride and who's acceptable and what is acceptable within it as well. And, and I think sometimes certain organisations are marching along at Pride you'd be very surprised if they, apart from that one day a year, had any concern for queer issues at all. So all of those questions come up, but it seems that you're expanding out into a, a broader engagement with a different way of seeing queer sexuality and its presence within society more broadly no i think that's exactly it and i think definitely we've had i suppose criticisms or people maybe feeling uneasy with what we've been doing because it can feel quite negative or it can feel quite critical and we see things like those rainbow banners on atm machines like I'm, i'm definitely very critical of that but it's not just about Uh, kind of sitting down and looking what's wrong with that it's also providing an alternative Mm. that is positive and does provide something for people and does build community which I I think it's a very positive approach that we have Mm. I think it it really speaks to the best parts of the queer community. Um, I mean, this year as well, we are, as a lot of Pride events this year, we're trying to focus on the 50 years from Stonewall, having a look at that. And within that, there's a lot of kind of looking back at our history, looking back at what past struggle has been and how we've come away from that. And I do think there is a danger with some of that that we kind of glorify or we kind of maybe romanticise the point that we've got to. It's quite easy to look back and say, oh, it was so terrible back then, but, you know, this is what we've got now. And it is important to celebrate the things and it's important to celebrate the work that has been done by the career community to get to this point. But also, we do still need to address how far we still need to go and what parts of the community aren't feeling all of those benefits and we always have a really strong focus on things like that so we'll, we always involve groups like LGBT Unity which is a f- fantastic organisation in Glasgow that works with LGBT asylum seekers so it's a asylum seeker and refugee led voices like that that really do need to, to be given a platform to talk about their own issues and again building those communities together so that we, we are all working together <laughs> And so you're bringing this into the CCA on the 3rd of August. So I won't ask you about the details because it's still quite a way ahead, but you're actually going to be in the building on that day. Yep, so we'll have kind of a bit of a takeover for the whole day, I think. So we'll be starting from 12 o'clock on the 3rd of August. So it'll open up with stalls. We'll have workshops and talks quite early in the day and we'll be running right up till 8 o'clock. So yeah, we're still pinning down all the details of that, but it'd be great if people can look out on our Facebook page. We'll be updating all the time there as we get things confirmed, so we get different guests confirmed. And we are still planning the after party, but that will be announced quite soon as well, which will be exciting. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. I appreciate you coming in at this late stage in the day. That's great. Can I plug just the last thing as well? If you are interested in getting involved in Free Pride, if you like the sound of what we're doing, we are taking volunteers for the day. We always have a really great team of volunteers and it's a really great way to just to see what we're doing. So you can message us on Facebook or you can email us at freeprideglasgow.outlook.com. We also have a GoFundMe fundraiser going about. So if you want to chuck us a few quid, that would be great as well. That's on our Facebook page. Thank you. And it really just remains for me to thank my guest today. If you want more information about any of the events that are happening over the next month and beyond, please check them out on the CCA website or, of course, pick up a copy of the CCA brochure. And I'd like to give my thank yous, of course, to Sunny Govern FM for broadcasting this, for the team at the CCA who've supported me in getting this all organised today, particularly Julie and Moen. Thank you so much. And, of course, Kenny, who has arranged the microphones if you can hear this, that's because of him. I've been Gareth K. Varl, and it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to people about the breadth and depth of events that are happening in the CCA, and I shall be back in a month's time. Thanks for listening.